Welcome to LifePoint Church. Our mission is to glorify God and make gospel-driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. Philippians 1, verses 12 through 18. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. My name is Wes. I'm one of the pastors here at LifePoint, and it's a joy and a privilege to get to open the Word of God together. I'd like to invite you to bow your heads in prayer with me before we get started. Heavenly Father, we are here because our lives belong to you, our time belongs to you, and at every turn, Lord, we long to make you our focus and our purpose, and the heart of what drives everything that we do. So God, I pray that today your word would shape us. I pray that today we would find you where you belong, at the very center, the heart of what drives all that we do. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. We're continuing in our series today through Philippians. I'm so excited that this is where we're headed for the summer. Grateful that we can, we can be doing this together, and I hope you had a chance to dive into the Saturday soak. I love, I love the work that that, that that crew of folks put together to, to help us be ready when we gather every Sunday having studied the Word of God. So if, if you are new to that, please grab one of those study guides. You can also download it online if you're with us online. I want to encourage you to do that and set aside some time to study God's Word with us throughout the summer, whether you're at the campsite or on vacation or here or, or working. We want to invite you into God's Word. And we're continuing in the series today. And even though this is a, a new series in the, in the book of Philippians, today's text, this passage could have been included in the last series. We just finished a series called In His Image, and it was an exploration of what it means to be human, of what God's Word says about a worldview that is, is from Scripture. And if, if we had expanded that series and added some more weeks to it and looked at some more bits and pieces, puzzle pieces, if you will, of what it means to be human, this passage could very well have found its way into that series because today we're looking at what it means as humans, especially as followers of Jesus, to suffer. And that's our, that's our big question today. How should we respond when we suffer? And this is an important part of our worldview. And I ask that question today as a Christ follower but I want to tell you that if, if you are not a Christ follower and, and you're here today, you're, maybe you're here with your parents or some family or your friends or neighbors invited you, I, I, I want to first of all say I'm glad that you're here. This is where you should be. This is the right place to be. And today you get a special look 
into what the scriptures say about what it means to suffer as a follower of Jesus. Now, today's passage doesn't deal with all the questions surrounding suffering, why it happens and, and, and all of that, but we will get to see what is unique about what it means to suffer as a Christ follower. And, and friends, the gospel is especially good news when we suffer if we are followers of Jesus. And so our big question today uh, is, is for those who call themselves Christ followers, how should we respond when we suffer? Many have identified that for Christians in the Western world, at least um, this, this question represents perhaps a hole in our scriptural worldview. There's whole movements within the church and ministries that, that have aimed to, to bypass this question altogether and say, no, 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 if you're suffering, you need this wrench and you need to turn this bolt in your faith because God wants you to be healthy. He wants you to, to be wealthy. He wants you to be happy. And so if you're suffering, there must be something wrong in your faith. And so here's a tool, fix it. You know, that's been an approach that, that it, I think if we're honest, even if we disagree with what I just said, it still works its way into the psyche of our faith, sometimes even on an unconscious level. Many have identified that for Christians here in the Western world, this is one of the biggest holes in our worldview. And I want to invite you today into the possibility that maybe this is a hole in your worldview. And maybe, maybe God today wants to change the way you think and approach suffering so that you can know his heart. And so that you can know that the, even the deeper places of his goodness that is expressed through the work of Jesus. Maybe God's doing a new thing in you, and maybe, just maybe, that's today. So that's as we approach this text, what we're looking at. Now, there is great trouble in the text, and I want to invite you to open your Bible. This is a, this is a good week to have it open uh, to page 980 if you're using the Pew Bible. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. Folks, Paul, the author of this letter, he's in real trouble. <laughs> he is in real trouble. He is suffering, and he's suffering significantly on two different levels. And as we look at this and we see, uh, especially as we, as we look at, at, at just the context of this letter, he's writing from jail. He's suffering physically. There is a physical suffering, and we see this reflected even in just the first couple of verses. He talks about what has happened to him, this thing that's happened, and the, the, the people he's writing to, they know what's happened. He's been imprisoned, and he mentions twice in the first couple of verses of this passage, describes his imprisonment. We know he's in trouble, and the point of Paul's letter is he's sharing an update with these people whom he loves, the Philippians. He's sharing an update uh, so that they know how he's doing, because they know he's in trouble. Paul knows that there's a good chance this physical suffering, this imprisonment he's enduring will end in his death. And if you keep reading the rest of chapter 1, you'll see he's very aware that his days may be numbered. This could be it. This could be the pinnacle of his suffering. And the Philippians, they really do care about his physical suffering. 
In fact, they sent, and you can see this, we'll, we'll explore this more throughout this series in chapters 2 and 4. They sent an encourager, a messenger, an angel, if you will, one of the brothers named Epaphroditus, to go to him to bring encouragement, to bring a gift, to ease his physical suffering. And also, I think they were probably hoping to hear some word, to get an update on how Paul was doing. They are worried about him. But his suffering isn't just physical, even on another level. And I think many of us, whether you've suffered physically like Paul, imprisoned, and, and we, we've heard the whole, he's been through a lot, shipwrecks and snake bites and stonings and with rocks and, you know, like all kinds of things. He's suffered a lot, but even when we suffer physically, there's another level that you can suffer, and that's, and, and that's relationally. Paul is being afflicted with even relational suffering, and that is, is, is very clearly laid out. If we look at verses 14 to 17, we see that while most of the brothers around him know that he's, he's suffering for Christ, and, and it's actually encouraging them and helping them to be bold in their faith and to trust Jesus more, there are some, there are some who, these are still brothers in the Lord. These are still people who are following Jesus, even working in ministry. There are some who seek to afflict him. They see Paul's imprisonment as a chance to grow their, faith, their, their own ministry, to leverage the opportunity selfishly to take advantage of his physical suffering. And their hope is to afflict him. Look at verses 14 to 17. What is going on here? He says, most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment. They're, they're bold to speak the word, but some preach Christ from envy and rivalry. He, says, he goes on to say, they proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Like, wow, that sounds ugly. What is going on here? If we look at some of the key words, I've highlighted some of the key words here for us. Envy and rivalry, selfish ambition. If we dig into these, we can understand maybe a little better what's happening. Verse 15 says that some are preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry. And this word envy, it's, a, it's an interesting word. It's a Greek word. And, and it's like saying that some preach Christ with a grudge. <laughs> Here's the good news of the gospel that all of eternity can be changed for you and I'm going to preach it with a grudge against that guy because he had a bigger ministry than me. <laughs> it, it sounds silly to say out loud, but it's right here <laughs> in the word. This, this word envy is, is with a grudge or with jealousy or malice or ill will. Paul says, some are preaching Christ right now in the midst of my physical suffering with envy, but that's not all. They also have rivalry. This is a Greek word, eros, which means uh, with strife or contention or quarreling or division. It's like these people are, are leveraging a ministry opportunity to try to bring division to the church in the midst of what Paul is suffering. Envy and rivalry with a grudge and with quarreling and division. And verse 17 goes on, we get to see so, the, kind of the heart of some of their motives. It says that they preach Christ with selfish ambition, with the aim of, of, of afflicting Paul in his imprisonment. And this word that's translated into two English words, selfish ambition, 
This is a fascinating word. It's the Greek word erytheia, and it literally is a pretty benign word. If you just translate it literally, it means working for wages. How many of you uh, worked for wages this week? Anybody? We've got a few. <laughs> you know, if you had a job, you've done this. But this word had become widely known and used not just for having a job, but to negatively describe somebody who was developing their own career. The idea is they're advancing, they're, they're looking out for their own interests, and it was, it was, it was kind of used to describe somebody who was self-promoting, especially with regards to politics. So, so this word that's translated as selfish ambition was the word they used to, to describe a politician who was out self-promoting their own agenda, a rising politician vying for people's attention. So that's what we have here. And Paul's very careful, if you look through this passage, to contrast those who are preaching Christ with a platform of greater faith and boldness, setting aside fear because they're saying, hey, if God's taking care of Paul in prison and he's using that in, in prison, then maybe he could use me too and maybe I don't need to be afraid. And they're stepping forward and they, they are preaching the word of God from this place of increased faith. There's a contrast between them and those who are preaching with this selfish ambition, this self-promotion, and they're aiming to, to stir up division, and they're doing it because they're holding a grudge because maybe they don't like Paul. We don't know all the details of that conflict, but there's a great contrast of someone who's, who's unwilling or unable to work through differences they may have with others in the church, who would rather, under the cover and the guise of ministry, advance their own plan and agenda in a way that is like, it says that, that, that they're trying to afflict Paul. They're trying to hurt him further in the midst of his physical suffering in jail. Whew, thankfully, this, this kind of thing doesn't happen anymore, right? <laughs> I think the reality is, is it, it sounds almost silly to be saying this out loud that people who carry the good news of Jesus could carry it with these kinds of motives, but if we're honest, if each of us is willing to get honest before the Lord, anybody who's involved in ministry on any level can be susceptible to this kind of temptation, can't we? We are wired, and I think maybe especially in our unique day and age today, in our culture today, we're, we're kind of wired for competitiveness. <laughs> and and, and we, if you've visited churches before and different churches and you've seen, different churches have different ways of doing things, and, and, but we're all on the same team here, but you've seen when churches get competitive with each other, it's ugly, isn't it? It does not help the cause of Christ. And, and Paul here, he's enduring this relational suffering of people. <clears throat> who are selfishly trying to advance their own agenda, their own career, and they're trying to do it. Will they afflict Paul? Will they put him down? So how does Paul handle this suffering? How does he respond? How does Paul deal with this kind of suffering? And my hope is that as we explore Paul's response, that maybe it can help us understand how we should respond in the midst of our suffering. 
Because I know that we all, we've suffered relationally. We've suffered physically, some of us. How should we respond? And I think digging into Paul's response can help us. Now, put yourself in Paul's shoes. How would you respond in his situation? Or put yourself in the shoes of the Philippian church and you know you know that this brother in the Lord who has, ha- has helped move God's kingdom forward in all kinds of places is suffering. How would you handle this kind of suffering? Would you pray for a jailbreak? I mean, we've seen that. If you read the book of Acts, this has happened before, right? That's, that's how God works when people who've loved Jesus go to jail. The, the saints pray and there's a, an earthquake and the doors fling open. That's what he does, right? He did do that, but it doesn't happen here. Would you pull an apostle or a church leader away from ministry and send them to go rebuke those who are preaching Christ you know, out, of, out of poor motives? Would you do that? Would you pray for God to, to, to somehow call down a curse on the, the people that you don't like, <laughs> the fellow brothers in the Lord? Now, Paul... Paul acknowledges that these, these, these other ministers, they're preaching the gospel of Jesus. They're not declaring another gospel. Paul's not afraid to confront that. He does all over the rest of his, his writings. These people are doing the work of the Lord, and they've got this interpersonal conflict that is chewing them up. Would you ask God to, to, to do that? No. You want to see the gospel move forward. You know, it's interesting. If we look at this question, how, how would we respond and compare it to how Paul handles this suffering? Look at verse 12, the beginning of verse 12 with me. Now, he says that he's gotten through earlier, as we've seen the last few weeks in this series, his, his welcome, his greeting to the Philippians, and then he gets to the heart of the letter, and he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, and this is a, a typical letter opening in, in, in the ancient Near East. They would have expected him to get right to it. They're expecting a personal update. All right, Paul, tell us about what's happened to you. How are you? How's the food? Uh, is, is the guard that you're chained to nice to you or mean to you? Like, like these are the questions they would have expected. They would have expected a personal update. And Paul says, he, he opens with this customary, like, we're getting to the point now. This is what I want you to know about what has happened to me. And, and, and look what he says. He, Paul doesn't give an update on himself. <laughs> he doesn't tell them how Paul's doing. He tells them how the gospel's doing. He says, I want you to know that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. I love that. That's how he handles his suffering. He doesn't even tell them about the the stale bread that they feed him every day. No, 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 no. He says, I want you to be assured the most important thing you need to know, this may end in death for me. You guys know I'm on death row. This may be the last thing I write. And you have got to know that all of this suffering has only served to advance the gospel of Jesus. He doesn't give an update on his circumstances. He gives an update on the gospel. This word advance that he uses is a Greek word that, I I love this word. It, It refers to the progress that an army or an expedition would make. 
Imagine advancing through a jungle. This word advance, literally, the, the verb form of it is like, like how you describe somebody with a machete hacking their way through the undergrowth. This is somebody, this is like a, a word, this advance, it's like overcoming obstacles. We are moving past what held us back. And Paul says, I want you to know what has happened to me. My suffering, all it's done is furthered the gospel. We have broken new ground with the gospel because of this suffering. That's what he's telling him. That's the update. And then we see in verse 18, look at, look at where he lands. He's, he's on death row, folks. And in verse 18, he says this. He says, what then? In response to all of this suffering, even the, 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 the brothers who have turned their backs on him and the, the being chained to the guard and, 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 and bad coffee every morning, like, like his suffering is bad. And he says, what then? All he cares about, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. How is he doing? He's about to die. What are his circumstances? He's chained to a Roman guard and people have turned their backs on him and he is rejoicing, my friends. He's rejoicing because the gospel's gaining new ground. It's going places it's never been before. And all he cares about is seeing the gospel move forward. Paul has made Jesus his only agenda. Even in the midst of suffering, he doesn't ask them to pray that, that the circumstances would get better. He doesn't even ask them to pray that the people that are afflicting him would stop. All he wants is their work in the gospel to advance it. All he wants is for the gospel of Jesus to move forward. And, and it's, it's amazing. He makes Jesus his only agenda as he suffers. I wish he were here. I'd give him a high five. That's pretty awesome. So how does God handle this suffering? What is the Lord doing? How does God handle Paul's suffering? Because as we study his word, we see what Paul does. Let's see what God is up to through the things that Paul is doing. And we see here that God works through Paul's circumstances to break this new ground. And he takes the gospel into the heart of, of the Roman Empire with the Imperial Guard. He advances the gospel. I mean, Satan thought he had chained up Paul, the itinerant, the itinerant traveling missionary who's establishing churches across the known world. Satan thought he had him locked up. No, all he really did was chain somebody to Paul so that they would get to, have to, listen to the gospel all day long. And as those guards rotated, it's become known throughout the whole Imperial Guard. This, this is the emperor's like elite. These are the Navy SEALs. These are the Army Rangers. These are the ones that, like, who are the best of the best, the cream of the crop. They all know the gospel now. They probably missed VBS, but they are all getting chained to Paul who's declaring the gospel, and it's amazing. God works through Paul's circumstances to break new ground for the gospel, not only with the imperial guard, but we also see through the broader community. 
Because most of the brothers, as Paul says here, they've become confident in the Lord by his imprisonment. It's emboldened them to proclaim the good news of Jesus, of his life and his death and his resurrection. God works to break new ground in amazing places. We see that here. Because Paul's agenda was Jesus and not the alleviating of his own suffering, or chasing down a fight with the rival ministers. He could have tried to pick a fight with them. No, no, he didn't, he didn't bother with that. His agenda was only Jesus. Because his agenda was Jesus, his suffering was not itself an obstacle to overcome. In fact, it was the means by which the gospel broke new ground and advanced in places nobody expected it could have gone. So, Back to our question today. How should we respond when we suffer? How should we respond when we suffer? Here's our big idea for today. Suffering leads to joy when our agenda is Jesus. And we know that even if, even if our suffering is, is the worst kind of suffering and it ends in our death like Paul's will, it will lead to joy if our agenda is Jesus, if that's the heart and the focus of what we're about, if that's what we care about and we don't care about picking fights with people and we don't care about our physical circumstances. We know that this earth is gonna be full of suffering because it's full of sin and it's full of sin because we brought it, but Jesus is the answer to all of that. When our agenda is Jesus, even the worst-case scenario suffering ends with joy. And Paul says it here emphatically twice at the end of verse 18. His suffering leads to a place of rejoicing because the gospel is moving forward. Can you imagine what heaven will be like as Paul sits down next to one of those Roman guards that he was chained to? <laughs> Think about the new ground broken for the gospel through his suffering. Suffering leads to joy when our agenda is Jesus. We don't have to run from it. We don't, we don't have to try to claim a promise that's meant for heaven right now in this earth because this side of heaven and this side of Jesus' return, we can count on there being suffering, but my friends, God does not waste our suffering. He uses it for his good, for his glory, in ways to advance the gospel that will change the landscape of eternity forever. This, my friends, is good news. Now, you may be wondering, wait a minute, wait a minute, what's the catch here? Now, I, I want to be clear. We talked about how, at the beginning of this message, this passage doesn't address every, every angle of suffering from a scriptural worldview. So I just want to be very clear what this passage does not say about suffering. It does not say that God causes suffering, only that he uses the suffering that's here. If you dig through scripture, you'll see that our rebellion to God and stepping outside of his design in our sin, that's what causes our suffering ultimately. 
This passage does not say that suffering itself is good, but it does promise that God is faithful, that the suffering you and I encounter will be turned to joy in the end, and he will use it. A youth pastor that I once worked for used to say all the time that God never wastes a hurt. You've been hurt. God won't waste it if our agenda is Jesus. He will use it for his glory. He will not waste it. Now, this passage also, it does not condone or, or say that it's okay that the church should allow strife or envy or rivalry or quarreling or division. No, Paul's in a place where there's nothing he can do about that. His focus is on the gospel moving forward, and he's praising God that the gospel is moving forward even in the midst of all of that stuff. There's no room for egos in ministry. We see that in Paul's response. There's only room for the glory of Jesus. We see that in ministry we can celebrate kingdom wins instead of competitive wins. And, 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 and we see that, that, that while we don't have to be happy about suffering in general, we can take joy in the reality and the truth and the promise that God will bring about his good from it. Romans 8.28 tells us that God will work all things for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purposes. Suffering leads to joy when our agenda is Jesus. Christ followers, if you call yourself a Christian today, what does your worldview look like when you encounter suffering? Do you see suffering as an opportunity to find joy in God working in ways that you never expected? Amen. I hope you do. Today, I want to ask you, Jesus follower, what's your agenda? Are you aiming to accomplish something besides the work of Christ? I want to invite you today Make Jesus your agenda. Make that decision now. Maybe you're not in a season of suffering right now. If you decide now that this is your worldview on suffering, that this is how God's word has informed the way you'll respond when you encounter suffering, if you decide that today, when your day comes, you'll be ready. You'll be ready to embrace the work of God through it. I want to invite you to make Jesus your agenda today. So friends, how is the gospel doing in your life, in your circumstances? Let's turn our focus on the work of Christ and rejoice in that. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, it is so refreshing to see and to know that the ways that we encounter the brokenness of this world, Lord, that you are Lord even over those moments. Father, I pray today that those who are going through a challenging time, who are suffering in, in one way or another, I pray, Lord, that we would know and see and understand your faithfulness, that we might declare 
that we can rejoice in the work that you're doing, even in the midst of our suffering. I pray that you would give us a hope that is rooted in the the return of Jesus. I pray that you would give us strength and faith and encouragement that we would declare your word without fear like those brothers who saw Paul's suffering and were strengthened in their faith. Lord, make us bold for the work of Christ, even in the midst of our suffering. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. That concludes LifePoint Church's podcast. For more information about our church, visit sharethelife.org.